0: final hour the fan morning show sportsnet 590 the fan alish and justin this morning like it is every morning leafs big deal big deal yesterday jake mccabe and sam lafferty from the chicago blackhawks for really nothing of that much consequence Mm -hmm. a first round pick in there second round pick in there of course the cupboards are a little bare but the team is loaded as we speak, uh, and there's not much room for improvement, but there's time for improvement if Kyle Dubas so chooses. To talk about that and more, we've got former NHL executive and hockey analyst Pierre Maguire on the line. Good morning, Pierre.
1: Hey, Justin. Good to visit with you, gentlemen. Good morning.
0: Uh, good morning. Um, so the completed Leafs pitcher here evaluating Kyle Dubas, how do you
1: see it? Well, he's been super proactive, and that's really a positive part of his work so far. I mean, when you look at the Ryan O'Reilly-Nolachari trade, that was really critical. Uh, It gives him offensive depth. It gives him uh, playoff-type player Nolachari. It gives him guys that have won before. Achari won a national championship at Providence College. O'Reilly's won a Stanley Cup. Um, And when you look at what he did with McCabe and Lafferty, Lafferty's got speed, physical ability, tremendous board checker. McCabe is won a World Junior in 2013 as a captain for Team USA, even though he hasn't played a playoff game in Lafferty. He's only played one. Those guys bring enthusiasm into your locker room, and they bring a kind of focus that you have to have going into the playoffs. This reminds me, gentlemen, so much of 2019 when Tampa got swept by Columbus. And then the next year, they go out and they get Blake Coleman, Barkley Goodrell, Pat Maroon, Luke Shen, and Zach Bogosian. Toronto basically has gone out and followed the same footprint, if you really look at it. They knew they needed more character, heart and desire in Tampa and they went out and did it, and I think Toronto feels the same way. Now they're probably going to have to face off against that Tampa team in the first round.
0: Yeah, full measures approach, clearly from Kyle Dubas here. Uh, with Jake McCabe specifically, uh, where do you think he belongs within within this lineup? Should he be the guy that plays with Morgan Riley?
1: Well, here, here's the thing. TJ Brody's been an outstanding partner for morgan riley for a long time and to me the biggest thing with jake and i've known jake's game a long time going back to before he went to the university of wisconsin when he played in the u.s national team development program uh, i told you before he was captain of uh, the world junior team in 2013 he's got a tremendous pedigree my concern with jake is he had an mcl and an acl two years ago that blew out in buffalo and he only played 13 games and last offseason, he had major surgery on his back. That's why he's only played 55 games. Um, you know, So when you look at it, uh, my, my biggest concern is just him holding up over the playoff duration. That being said, he has got character and guts and courage. Um, so I don't know who he should play with, but I can tell you my only concern with his acquisition is just the potential for injury for him just because he's had some pretty significant injuries over the last couple of years.
2: With the addition of McCabe, um, looks like there's an extra D back there. Um, I mean, Sandine has been someone that we've circled quite a lot in terms of conversations of where is he going to fit with this Maple Leafs roster, but is this maybe opening the door to a potential team that could see Rasmus Sandine as a fit for them and maybe a trade chip over the next couple of days for the Maple Leafs?
1: I think there's a lot of merit to that point. And one of the things about it is at this time of the year when you're an executive in the... Uh, managerial suite. You're looking at organizational strengths and weaknesses. You're looking at the price points for different players around the league, uh, what it will cost you to get those players. What's the value of the player that you might be trading, how much you want to mess with the integrity of your roster. So those are all questions that you're asking the people that are surrounding you. The very best executives in the National Hockey League, they don't do it by themselves. They've got really trusted partners that they work with on an everyday basis in their office. And they're really, the best teams are really forthright. Yeah, we're really strong here. No, we're not nearly as strong. It's the teams that are defensive about their roster and say, oh, yeah, yeah, this guy's great. This guy's great. This guy, they're all great. How come we never win? Those are the teams that are doomed to fail. I think Toronto's really looked at this and said, you know what, we, we're not good enough the way we have been. We need to change. And I don't think uh, Kyle Dubas will be afraid to make another deal. I think he's done a fantastically proactive general manager's job with the Leafs so far this year.
2: Yeah, we agree. It's been a, a bit of a smash over the last two weeks at least. Um, in terms of looking at previous iterations of the bottom six, in, specifically with this Maple Leafs team and how they might have fallen short over the last couple of playoff performances, how does this one with Lafferty and Achari specifically as additions compare to what you've seen in the past? And is that enough for the Maple Leafs to make the 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 additional rounds that are probably needed in
1: this fan base. Well, I think the biggest thing with what Kyle's done is is there's a smash mouth component to Noel Char. He can play wing, he can play center, he's extremely physical, Um, and he's a guy that's not afraid to voice an opinion. He was, like I said, he was a captain of a national championship team at Providence, and and he was really an important player. He learned a lot when he played in Boston, especially from uh, Patrice Bergeron. Um, and and, uh, Brad Marchand, so I think that's important. But when you look at Sam Lafferty, he's going to bring unbelievable enthusiasm. He's a kid that played prep school at Deerfield. I saw him play there. I saw him play at Brown University for four years. He's played one NHL playoff game. He's going to be so pumped. I think all the guys that have been traded out of Chicago, they they know they're in a major rebuild there. They get uh, reprieve from the governor. They get a chance to play playoff hockeys with an original six team in an unbelievable hockey market in Toronto. So they're going to bring enthusiasm. I think David Camp's going to do a real good job in the playoffs. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Cali Yarncroke does uh, as a playoff player, as a bottom six. I don't know if they're going to keep Pierre ball, if they're going to trade Pierre ball. I have no idea. But the way the lease are set up now, and, and I like Kerfoot a lot if he drops down in the in the roster situation. So when you look at it, I think their bottom six is more than competitive, and I think the additions of a charring Lafferty in particular really helped them in terms of that depth that you have to have. We're
0: chatting with Pierre Maguire, our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Ryan O'Reilly is the biggest, flashiest, big name acquisition uh, that uh, Kyle Dubas brought in this season. Uh, but there's still questions over where that player should play. Do you think he should be centering the second line and playing with John Tavares and another skilled winger, or should he be anchoring a third line and making sure that uh, the centers run deep for Toronto with Matthews Tavares and O'Reilly playing up the middle?
1: Justin, I'm going to date myself here, but I remember coaching in Pittsburgh back in the early 1990s. We had a pretty good player by the name of Mario Olympia and playing center or playing wing was just a starting point for him. He would start a lot of power plays on the wing just because we had such an amazing asset and Ronnie Francis who could win face-offs. So that was one example of a player who was a star playing on the wing rather than a center. I know it was on the power play, but it was different. But in some of the matchups that we had, we didn't want Mario playing down low in defensive coverage and tiring himself out. So we would take Bob Airy and put Bob Barry in the center ice position the down low coverage position and move Mario Lemieux up to the left wing even though it was a right-hand shot. So... I think in, with player great players in particular, like Tavares and O'Reilly, whether they play wing or center, the critical point for the coaching staff to sell them on is, is just a starting point. Because we don't play lineal hockey anymore. Everybody exchanges positions all over the ice. The only time it really is critical is for down-low coverage. And I think both of them are suited for down-low coverage in Johnny and Ryan. But I would say O'Reilly probably gets a little bit of an edge playing down-low compared to where John has to play down-low.
0: Just, I guess, you know, the presence, the most important thing here and how it, how it all lines up, how it works. The first line versus Tampa, maybe beyond. Uh, but I don't know if, you know, Kyle, Dubas talked about how I, I, he wasn't sure he wanted to make a uh, move, a first round pick for a rental. Uh, and now these moves here with Jake McCabe, having money retained and Sam Lafferty being an inexpensive, inexpensive option as well. Do you think the Leafs will try to do everything they can to keep him this summer, even if it means, you know, having to make other sacrifices?
1: I don't know the answer to that. And I wouldn't want to put myself in those shoes right now. I think the focus should be what's coming up over the next, you know, two and a half to three months. If you can keep playing that long, Um, it's really important for Toronto to get out of the first round. I think everybody knows that. And so I think as an organization, that is probably their focus. There are probably people below Kyle Dubas that are evaluating the cap and evaluating the roster and looking at Like I talked about before the organizational strengths and weaknesses but the fact of the matter is, all focus needs to be on how can we win with the present-day team. And anything else besides that, I think we'd be an error by the coaching staff or the management team.
2: Looking at how the last two weeks has have gone and the fact that Kyle Dubas doesn't have a contract extension past this and he's pushed all the chips in the center, I think we're all pondering the idea of okay, they need to win one round, but is that enough? Is one round enough to secure that this was a, a victory, in a sense, getting over the hump, um, or is it is it bigger bigger picture in terms of how Leafs Nation will evaluate this as a success and how, I guess, management and the organization will view the future of Kyle Dubas as well? Yeah, I
1: don't think we're, the fan base of the Maple is going to be happy with just one win if they were to win in the first round. The list. I think they're going to want more than one win. Um, in terms of how ownership sees it, that's a whole different story. I, the one thing I'd say, I used the term before, is proactive by Kyle Dubas, I think he's addressed organizational strength and weakness, and part of that was adding speed to the depth positions. They've done that. Part of that was adding physicality. I think they've done that. Part of it was adding depth on defense. I think they've done that in the off season. They tried to add depth and goal, which I think has been really positive for them. Uh, you've seen the development also of, of Joseph Wall, which is really important going forward for the Leafs and goal. So, there's been a lot of pauses that have happened this year for this team. And, you know, you look at the star power that's been accumulated over time, it's been pretty impressive by the Leafs. So, I don't know how that translates for ownership and their decision making on management. But I would say one thing the uh, the management team in Toronto has been amazing to be successful this season and very proactive. Now, it just has to translate to playoff success.
0: Okay, let's roll through the Leafs' potential opponents in the postseason, uh, and we'll start with Tampa Bay, who they've been eyeing for, what, the last four months in terms of a postseason opponent, thank you, playoff format. Uh, Tanner Janot is a big deal. Uh, It might not be the biggest name out there, but the return was massive uh, for the Nashville Predators with Tanner Janot. Why do you think the Lightning uh, picked and selected and went after with reckless abandon, this player specifically, and what he brings to the, to the Lightning, who are trying to get back to a fourth consecutive Stanley Cup final?
1: Because they lost Blake Coleman, an unrestricted free agency to Calgary. They, they lost Barkley Goodrow to the New York Rangers. Uh, they don't have Luke Shen anymore. They, they needed that physicality and a little bit of nasty, especially to insulate uh, Patty Maroon uh, and Nick Paul. They just haven't had enough of that in one guy that they stole last year from Chicago is Brandon Hagel, and he's had a phenomenal year. You know, he's close to 50 points right now this year. So I think what they were looking to is to try to recreate what they had, um, you know, after the 2019 debacle with Columbus, with the addition of all those character players. That's why I think they went out and got Tanner. And Tanner, let's be fair, has not had the same years he's had a year ago. Um, you know, a year ago he had 20, almost 25 goals. He had 24 goals. This year he's got five. So it's been a bit of a different type of year. But the one thing he always has is physicality. So I think that makes a difference for them. And if you have a line with Ross Colton, Nick Paul, and Tanner Sanoa as your third line, that that's going to be a tough playoff line to play against for any team in the league, whether it's Toronto or anybody else. It's, it's a really, really good line. And that's basically how Tampa Bay has been able to get to three straight Stanley Cups. They've had unbelievable depth players.
2: Not only did Tampa get tougher, but Boston, one of the best teams, arguably the best team in the NHL, got much tougher as well with Orlov and Hathaway. Um, I don't know how they continue to do it and get better and better, and they're getting goalie goals as well. They just seem to get all the shiny things in Boston. How do you rate what they've been able to do as well? Because it's going to be tough to make it through one, now two of the biggest uh, battles for the Maple Leafs.
1: You know, I a I watched your game last night with Edmonton, and what was really interesting is Matt Grizzik wasn't playing. Uh, for most of the season, Matt Grizzik's been a top-two defensive pairing guy with Charlie McAvoy. Dmitry Orloff took his place. Matt Grizzik with a healthy scratch. Orloff had two assists in that game. He looked very, very comfortable. It moved Hampus Lindholm down to a, you know a three-four hole position playing with Brandon Carlo. I mean, their defensive depth is overwhelming. Their depth on the middle, Bergeron, Krejci, Charlie Coyle, and Thomas Nosik, that's phenomenal depth down the middle. Um, their smash mouth component with Nick Felino and Trent Frederick is huge. Uh, Pavel Zach has been an unbelievable reclamation project from the New Jersey Devils. He's been great playing with David Krejci and David Posternak. Um, they're a juggernaut right now. They're deep at every position. They've got comforting goal with Jeremy Swayman, who played very well last night in Edmonton, and Linus Olmark. I mean, I can't say enough. Good things about it. But here's the one thing, a that not enough people are talking about. um, And that's the impact that that, uh, Jim Montgomery has had on this team as a coach. He has had a phenomenal impact. I've been around their team a lot. I talked to the players a fair bit. And uh, just the positive reinforcement and attitude he's brought to this team. is. There's amazing swagger around the Boston Bruins right now. They've done an outstanding job. Donnie Sweeney deserves a lot of credit. And Hathaway and Orloff are playoff-style players, both of them are.
0: Yep, it seems like everyone's getting better in the Eastern Conference. Of course, uh, New Jersey's made its move, getting Timo Meyer. It looks like Carolina's still on the clock, but the Rangers might get Tarasenko and Kane. And of course, we just ran down the Bruins, Lightning, and the lease and what they've done. So now, where does your attention go, Pierre? Uh, it, clearly, there are other moves to be made. There are a lot of defensemen available. But when you think about who's got to do something over the next couple of days here, where does your mind go?
1: Carolina. I mean, I look at Carolina, Justin, and I think about The type of regular season they've had, the long winning streaks they've had down there, the coaching that Rod Brindamore has given them has been fantastic. They've got depth and goal. They've had to overcome some injuries, especially to Jacob Slavin at different points of the year, Uh, Calvin DeHaan. I mean, they've had some injured guys, and they've found a way to overcome those injured players. They've got quick-strike offensive capability. They've got depth down the middle. They've got veteran presence, but I still think they're a little short. The injury to Max Pacioretty hasn't really helped them very much. They were counting on patch to be a 30 to 35 goal guy. Obviously, he's done for the year, and he only scored three goals in five games this year. So it's been a struggle for them. That's that's the team that I think really needs uh, to try to address something. Um, the Rangers have been very proactive, as you talked about, and the Islanders getting Bo Horvath has really helped them a ton as they go on uh, you a know, pretty good late season run there to try to make the playoffs. And I think the Pittsburgh Penguins are another team the expectation is so high in Pittsburgh with Crosby, with Malcolm, with Latang, all being there. They kept the big three together, and I think they need some more depth scoring. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the Penguins try to manufacture something going into uh, the deadline.
0: Yeah, they're an in- interesting spot, right? Like, I guess in a way, Pittsburgh and Washington are inextricably tied, but they're not. Uh, these are two different competing entities that are doing their own thing, and Washington has waved the white flag here, at least it seems, beginning to sell assets, looking forward to maybe a couple more seasons where they can be highly competitive, if not just chase the record with Alexander Ovechkin. But Pittsburgh doubled down on things this past summer, and it feels like they're in that same spot where they just don't quite have enough but despite still having the remnants of what they use to win back-to-back Stanley Cups, do you think it's misguided if they, they double down and keep trying to add, or is that just their responsibility as long as Sid's playing there?
1: As long as Sid, Malkin and, and Latang are playing there, I think you're going to see them. I mean, you know, they signed the extensions. Uh, Malkin's not a UFA till 2026. Latang's not a UFA till 2028. Crosby's a UFA in 2025. So as long as those big three are there, um, I think they're gonna swing for the fence. They made a big splash to try to keep Ricard Raquel. they did in the off season. He's not a UFA till twenty twenty eight. So they've done they've done a lot there in terms of trying to keep their roster together. Same with Brian Rust. Um so I think that they're just gonna swing for the fence as long as they can with as long as they have those big three guys there.
2: We've talked a lot about the Eastern Conference because the Western Conference has been uh, sleeping in, snoozing over there, maybe waiting (laughs) in the darkness, hopefully, because there hasn't been much action over there. Who's a team on the Western side of the uh, conference that you might think or hope should be making some moves over the next couple days?
1: Well, the team that's really making a move right now is Colorado. They're playing fantastic hockey. They still don't have their roster. They don't have Kiamma Carter. They're starting to get guys back, obviously. Uh, but they've been, they've been outstanding. I can't say enough good things about what Colorado's done lately. McKinnon's gone to another level. JT Coff is playing fantastically well. Um, you know, you look at their depth on defense. but Getting Bowen Byron back has been tremendous for them. So that, there's a lot there. When you look at it, ALS, you say that's a team that, if they make the right move at the deadline, they can be very, very lethal. They did go out and make a minor move the other day by bringing Jack Johnson back from Chicago um, but they still need a little bit more depth on defense. I think that's probably one of the things. And they're going to get Gabriel Lannis back at some point here, which is really positive for them.
0: Uh, the team the Colorado Avalanche beat in the Western Conference final on their path to the Stanley Cup was the Edmonton <laughs> Oilers. And the Oilers, I mean, they've got a couple years left here with McDavid and Dry Seidel. The window is not closing per se. Uh, but it feels like anything that they be holding on to in terms of futures assets, it's not going to help you when McDavid and Dry Seidel are guaranteed to be around does Kenny Holland have to get aggressive here and improve this team? Because yeah, they played pretty well last night against Boston, but Boston got the victory. McDavid scored twice and no one else could contribute for the Oilers beyond that. Is it imperative that the Oilers do something to help this group right
1: now? Yeah, I really think it is. And I watched their team play a lot, Justin, just because they're so darn exciting. And Connor McDavid is much watched TV every single night. The guy's just amazing. Two goals last night, 50 on the year, you know, almost 120 points now. It's just it's amazing to watch them play. So I, I get turned on by that. Um, but I don't think they're good enough on defense. I'm not sure they're good enough in goal right now. Um, so I, I And I'm in no position to tell a Hall of Famer like Kenny Holland what to do or not do. But I t- think over all the years he's been building teams and scouting around the league, he knows. Uh, he's, and I'm sure he's very realistic with his group. They're just not built strong enough on defense right now and it's not just a defense when they need forwards to come back and help their defense and i think that's something that the coaching staff trying to get them to buy into but uh if i were them i'd be trying to get aggressive trying to add on the back end
0: three days and change remaining before the nhl trade deadline uh pierre thank you for helping us tee up the deadline and hopefully we can chat again soon
1: oh it's been my pleasure justin thanks a lot very nice chatting with you take care everybody that's Pierre McGuire,
0: former NHL executive and hockey analyst, and our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Lots of stuff there.
2: The East, good thing we live on the Eastern side of the country, because I don't even know what you'd be talking about if you're over there on the West
0: Coast. You're talking about the East Coast. Yeah, but... The, Talking about what you like, could do. I
2: want to play. I want to get my... The next
0: three, day, three days could belong
2: to the hands West Coast. In the pot. I hope so. Wouldn't that be fun?
0: I, I'm. Uh, he's right about Colorado. Starting to really turn it on. Six-game
2: win streak. Six-game win streak. Kale McCarr
0: hasn't even been around. They're getting bodies back. You expect Kale McCarr to be back. And they have the opportunity to add before the deadline. So mm-hmm. Colorado should be the team you're circling. If no one's going to do anything it's probably because they're a little worried about meeting Colorado at any point in the Stanley Cup playoffs because they're still that team. At least I expect they are.
2: Avs are not in action tonight, but you've got a full slate of NHL and NBA to set in your wake and rake picks from the, Ma- uh, the Maple Leafs in action tomorrow against the Oilers, which will be a great game. And the Flames, but your Raptors are hosting the Chicago Bulls at 7.30 p.m. They're five-point favorites, minus 200 on the money line as well. Um, you can set in your picks from... Whatever you want, maybe from tonight's Toronto game, that would be great.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, short favorites, right for the Raptors? Another one of these like important games, right? They're all important. I don't want s- to say, get
2: into the play in, Justin. But
0: that's such a like. It's like I don't know. It's kind of a defeatist way to look at things. They're not must-win games. But if you're not beating the bad teams at this point, if you're the if mm-hmm. you're the Toronto and they've Raptors, they've been good
2: at beating the bad teams as of late.
0: Because <laughs> well, you have to, and they have mm-hmm. been good at it. You're right, but like I just don't have trust that they'll beat the. Good teams, and then I guess what are we even doing here? You know what I mean? We're go- going back to that quote: That's right. playing for what? But as long as it's a team with an in- an inferior at least outlook, uh, it's a must win for the Raptors right now.
2: And it looks like we should have a healthier full lineup. I'm, I, I would expect Fred VanVleet to be back, not confirmed mm-hmm. on that after having his third baby. So we'll see. And then he's got that Fred Dad strength, so.
0: It's finally time to see it. Hopefully Fred can give them a shot in the arm. Hopefully OG looks a little bit more comfortable they than had a, he has A tough,
2: looked. tough night in their last outing. So time to regroup.
0: Yeah, it's time for OG to get things sorted out. I mean, maybe this is a little bit of the sort of remnants of maybe some disappointment, maybe some confusion with the trade deadline and still being a Toronto Raptor. Maybe it's it you know, it's it's mm-hmm. the injury that's affected things in the layoff. But they need OG to be really, really good if they're gonna make something of this season, I would expect. And then maybe we can revisit all that later.
2: All right, um, we will do the wake and rake on the other side of the break, but first we're going to talk to Peter Galindo, Sportsnet soccer writer. Nick Bontis uh, resigned, the Canada soccer president. Yesterday, resigned in air quotes because basically pushed out, which is great. (laughs) Lots of questions remain. What's going to happen next? Who takes over and how hard this will be to earn the trust of an organization and the players and the media really filling this role. Um, That's all next on the other side of the break. you got a couple more minutes to send in those picks at 590-590.
0: The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: What a way to wrap up our show. We got a little soccer talk and then a little wake and rake. Let's kick that off with Peter Galindo, Sportsnet soccer writer, joining us this morning on the heels of Canada Soccer President Nick Bontis, Dr. Nick Bontis, as I found out yesterday, announcing his resignation on Monday. What's up, Doc? (laughs) Well, Nick uh, finding a way out the door, seemingly a little bit of a push. Is that how it really falls to Peter? Not really a resignation, but a little boot out the door.
3: Yeah, I'm sure that the provincial and territorial leaders asking for Bontus to resign probably, I, I think, influenced this quite a bit because once the provinces and, and whatnot start to get involved, that's when you really start to, I, I think, really feel the heat in a lot of ways because they do hold a lot of power in Canadian soccer. So I think that was certainly a factor. I think the, the, the fact that Bontus, whether he's still going to or not remains to be seen. But I think the fact that he was set to speak to MPs in front of the heritage committee in a couple of weeks, probably also had something to do with this. So there are multiple layers to this, but at the same time, I feel like there also isn't really much change a day later as, as there was before Pontus resigned, because the same problems within the federation uh, still exist in a lot of ways.
0: Okay. So we'll get to that in a second, but, um, I wonder, do we know why the governing bodies have put the pressure or did apply that pressure in order to unseat Bontes? Like, what the impetus was there other than, you know, the obvious and the unknown, I guess, which is that, hey, things are not going swimmingly here and and there needs to be a change.
3: Yeah, I I think part of it, and and as is always the case, guys, with these things, And, and we saw this with Hockey Canada when that scandal came out and sponsors were threatening to... To either withdraw their sponsorship or actually full on withdrew their sponsorship, that was happening with Canada Soccer. So I think that was part of it, financial, which you know, unfortunately, that seems to usually be the the last shoe to drop. Um, so that was one of the the uh, let, let, let's call them m- motivational tools behind this. Um, the other side of it too is that if the players don't trust leadership, um, and one of the main revenue drivers within Canada soccer is player registrations, which is through the provinces, all the more reason why they might actually end up calling for, for Bondas to step down.
0: Okay. So you mentioned that things aren't that not that much different from day to day. And I guess they can't, things don't change overnight. I guess that all makes sense. So what needs to happen for the change that we'd like to see that the athletes want to see what needs to happen for that to happen?
3: I, I think the one key factor in all of this is, just hiring a leader that I think the players can respect because that's the one thing that seems to be coming out now is that even though Bontus maybe wasn't running point all the time in these talks, it was usually Earl Cochran, the, the general secretary running point on those talks from the Federation side. The players did not seemingly have a lot of respect for him. So I think that's first and foremost, because at the end of the day, guys, you lose respect for somebody and you are in this sort of a a labor dispute, it's probably not going to go well. So I think that's first and foremost. But when you look at the general problems within the Federation, they're still strapped for cash regardless. The CSB deal still exists. And there are many other issues that have to be solved. So it's not going to be an easy job for whoever comes in and gets elected or just gets named, whoever it happens to be. Um, Because those are three major barriers that have to be overcome. And at the end of the day, both the men's and the women's national team budget still got cut in half and whether they can find some sort of revenue remains to be seen. So it's going to be a really uphill battle here. Bontus leaving maybe might solve one or two minor things, but, but the major crux, of everything is still there regardless of, I believe anyways, of who comes in.
2: I still feel like us as an audience and media, I don't really know what has happened in terms of what has Bontus done poorly himself. Where has he fallen short other than taking the brunt of this, obviously forward-facing, he's been the guy, but what specifically has he been at hand of making this issue persist and, and be created throughout Canada soccer?
3: Well, there are reports out there that Bontes, who was still a member of the board of directors at the time, was the one who signed off on the CSB deal behind other members of the board, behind their backs. Um, so that is one allegation that's out there. And if that's proven true, which maybe the Heritage Committee could have gotten into then that makes it a little more messy and and certainly puts a lot more blame on bondage's shoulders because in a lot of ways, um, we are here because of the CSB deal. Um, It would not be a thing if it wasn't for that deal being signed uh, because if you look at the revenues from the 2021 report, guys, commercial revenues were at more than $18 million in 2021. And let's say the $3 million that CSB pays to Canada soccer every year comes out of that commercial revenue. That means that they're missing out on at least $15 million every year in commercial revenue, which would solve a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. So if it comes out that Bontus or proven rather that yeah. Bontes did sign off on this deal behind the board's back, then really <laughs> it, it probably justifies the the resignation. And look, perhaps maybe that's why he, he did resign as well. Maybe he figured, all right, the MPs are going to maybe start poking around. I don't want that. I don't know. I'm, I'm speculating here, but uh, I'm sure trying to get out of Dodge was, was possibly one of the motivating factors behind him stepping down as well.
0: Yeah. It feels like someone it, it's, it feels like Bontis just did a, poor job and dug himself a hole he couldn't get out uh, out of and was you know out to sea without a raft like it just felt like he wasn't going to be able to try and get himself out of it but he was trying and doing whatever he could and maybe he's you know cutting corners and pissing people off and just not doing what is needed from the leadership core here and for that reason the pressure finally being applied seems like the right thing but he will leave behind a mess uh if deals were cut deals were cut and they they still exist now so Who is the right person to take over? Is there a right type of person to come in and clean up the mess? And is that priority one, just kind of settling things before actually taking steps forward?
3: Yeah, very clearly getting someone in there to get this deal over the line or help rather push this deal over the line, I think is one of the Clearly, one of the top priorities here, because once that labor dispute is settled for both the men and the women, um, then we no longer really have to deal with this problem because that's the the one issue that you see with both national teams compared to let 's just compare their counterparts in the u s They have a CBA where they get a certain rate to play games where they get a win bonus, a draw bonus, depending on the competition or the quality of the opponent, both national teams don't have that yet. Well, the the women did, but they're obviously seeking an improved deal because there was more money coming in from, um, you know, on the podium and and them winning gold and then the men going to the World Cup and whatnot. So they feel like they're entitled to more, and rightfully so, right? They're the ones who ultimately drive the revenue. They're the ones who go out and do the work. Um, But as for replacements, one name that immediately came to mind, and really the only name, that's come to mind really um, is, is Dino Rossi. He's the president of league one Canada, the, the semi-professional league um, really in Ontario mostly, but now they're, they have uh, league one BC under their umbrella and it's kind of seen as another pathway um, towards a professional game. A lot of the current men's national team players have actually gone through league one, Ontario, to get their start in their careers before going to college or while they were in college, then they get drafted to MLS and then obviously have the big careers that they have now. So considering he has a fairly tight relationship with probably some members of, of, you know, the Canadian soccer community and the fact that I think with CSB, I believe that they have some involvement with league one Canada as well. Relationship wise, it would make sense. Um, and, And he does care about Canadian soccer as well. He has been responsible for a lot of the growth. So he would be one name that would come to mind for sure.
2: We're speaking with Peter Galindo, Sportsnet soccer writer. So Nick Bontes resigns from the role as Canada soccer president, but he still holds a role just was named to the CONCACAF Council VP for North America. So first of all, what does that mean? And second of all, how much will he be working with the people that he just left the organization of? And is this like a conflict of interest moving forward?
3: Well, you would have to say it might have to, um, and this isn't necessarily something that, that is common, because, or sorry, that, that, that isn't common, I should say, because um, Mexico's former president, the, the, the Football Federation president, he had a seat on the FIFA Council, and he ultimately decided to resign from his post as Mexico president, but he kept the the, the FIFA Council seat, and that's pretty common, to be fair. So... Whether or not Bontis feels the pressure and has to step back from from the CONCACAF role, I don't know. Um, but the fact that he was just named VP of the Council a couple of days ago and then ends up resigning from Canada Soccer, that also looks a little peculiar, to say the least. And one name that we, we seemingly forget in all of this, whether it's with CSB's formation or you know just the creation of... of this whole mess is Victor Montaliani, the CONCACAF president, the former Canada soccer president. And both of these men are, of course, very, very close with each other. They worked together for years. Um, You know, Montaliani was the one who sat down with Scott Mitchell, who was at the time the CSB chairman and one of the co-owners of Forge FC and the CPL. And they kind of came up with this idea to start Canadian soccer business to sign this deal because, At that time anyways, Canadian men's soccer anyways wasn't really going anywhere. No one was investing in men's or women's soccer. So they saw an opportunity to possibly mitigate some of the losses. And this deal was ultimately signed. So both of these men, in a lot of ways, were almost in cahoots, allegedly anyways, to create this whole mess in a lot of ways. So the fact that they're now working together in CONCACAF, kind of makes you realize okay what's going on here like there there seems to be some sort of an ulterior motive possibly
2: and a mess it sure is um finally peter for you is have we heard from any of the players yet um any reactions are we expected to hear anything from this they've been obviously very outwardly spoken about wanting some change in they just got the biggest change that possibly probably could have happened so anything from the players yet or any uh any thought on when we might hear something
3: yeah, I imagine we'll probably hear something at some point today, maybe tomorrow. Um, the, the Canadian women's players usually tend to, um, and, and I think understandably so, they usually want to speak in unison. Uh, they usually try to seek legal advice first um, and then release statements, which is fair. You don't want to you know, step on anybody's toes. Um, and as for the men, I, I I reckon they'll probably do the same um, just because if both are in negotiations and, and both sides kind of want to hear what's going on. I'm sure they'll put out some sort of a statement. I doubt it's going to be anything groundbreaking because at the end of the day, this is still a legal matter. They're still talking to the Federation, trying to levy a deal. Um, but I imagine we'll we'll hear something of some sort in the next 24 hours here.
2: All right. Well, we'll stay tuned. And, Peter, we can find your stuff at Sportsnet, your Sportsnet Soccer Writer here for us. We appreciate you jumping on this morning and breaking it all down for us.
0: Absolutely, guys. Thank you for having me.
2: That's Peter Glendale, Sportsnet Soccer writer, writer for us today.
0: Uh, yeah. Seemed like what needed to happen finally was happened. Mm-hmm. If things are happening behind the back of board members, uh, clearly that is grounds. Cahoots? Uh, yeah. We <laughs> it's it, 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 we need to have leadership that we trust. Uh, mm-hmm. uh certainly for our um Old sports our federations, but sports really federations. Ev- everything. Yes, we Surely. need to definitely need to have confidence in the people making decisions, and the confidence was lost in one Nick Bontis, it seems, and now we have. Uh, the change that we needed so good things hopefully uh, ahead for Canada soccer on both sides of the equation
2: and a big pivotal moment here as the Canadian women are gearing up for a World Cup we're about to host a World Cup in a few years for the men's side it's uh, this next step just like it was with Hockey Canada needs to be the right direction forward for the players for the media for the fans everybody that needs to earn the that the trust needs to be earned from.
0: It needs to be world class. Big responsibility when you're a defending Olympic champion going into a World Cup. When you're hosting a World Cup. When you went to back to the World Cup for the first time in 36 years, you need like people who are doing things at a high level. So let's let's get that in 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 the in in place and move forward.
2: Could agree more. All right. So wake and rake today is a quick one. We got about 10 minutes to rip through this. Um, we have Raptors and Bulls tonight, 7:30 p.m. It's the Demar. Mm DeRozan-Knight. Mm-hmm. Looking at some props there. Maybe a revenge game, but I'm actually picking mine from this game. I think tonight is huge for both teams. Um, Bulls are just one and a half games back from Toronto for ninth in the East and half a game back behind Washington for 10th. The Raptors had a... Ugly win and an ugly loss this past weekend on a back-to-back. They've had a day to regroup in between their back home. Um, they're on a three-game home winning streak. I think the vibes have been pretty great at Scotiabank Arena. Remember the last one with the, the Caribbean Heritage Night was awesome. I think that they just need a big bounce-back game here. It looks like Fred Van Vliet should be back from his personal leave with his baby. So, I mean, if that's all said and done, I like the Raptors on the spread tonight. I'm seeing it at 5, so I'm teasing it to 4.5. Sorry, but... That's where I feel comfortable. It's only minus 112, so I'll do it. Uh, Raptors minus four and a half on the spread at home against the Bulls will be my Wake and Rake pick. The Bulls are 0 and 4 against the spread in their last four road games. So. All right. I like all of that.
0: Grabbing yourself a half point there. I'm going with the Buffalo Sabres in regulation over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Sabres hosting the Blue Jackets. I know Alex Tuck is hurt and that kind of messes with the chemistry for the top line. I was thinking about, you know, team total, total, uh, the over six and a half, maybe, but with that, I'll just rely on the Sabres getting mm-hmm. a win. Of course, they are playing meaningful hockey right now. The Columbus Blue Jackets are not. And maybe they want to be bad because teams like Chicago selling everything off. Anaheim is bad. Columbus actually. Bottom of the table. They are 32nd in the <laughs> NHL. Last time I, I saw, so they still have their intentions, albeit not as obvious as maybe Chicago. So, uh, yeah, I'm taking one team that's inspired, wants to try and make the playoffs with one over one that's uh, not interested in doing anything with real ambition. So, Sabres regulation minus. I've got it at minus 130.
2: 130
0: Perfect. over the Columbus Blue Jackets.
2: All right. I like those two locked together. Um, it's going to be. A big weekend for I'm all over the Sabers now. As someone that's attending a Sabers game in a few days, I want to be major Sabers bandwagoner right now, okay? There you go. So, bring on Sabers, Sabers, Sabers. Um I even got some Sabers jerseys coming my way to wear. Look Not I didn't you. buy them. God. Whoa, pump the brakes. I got some Sabers fans I'm lending Okay, borrowing. Okay, okay. I'm going to be wearing it just like I'm going to blend right in there and be a massive bandwagoner. But you know what Tage was a uh, Tage was on our Hall of Fame for a while, so I feel like we've earned it. Okay, um, let's go through some of these Wake and Rake picks. Um, we got a couple different options in the text line and a few trickling in here last minute, so I'll toss that in there quickly and you can start.
0: Okay. Hey, Justin and Aylish. Just putting out my Wake and Rake pick, which is A.S. Roma over Cremonice at minus 133 on the three-way money line. That's Roma over Cremonice. I've actually been to Roma, saw a game at Roma. Wow, so so you might have
2: to pick this. Roma. Uh,
0: The reasoning... (laughs) From Alessandro in North York, is two FA Cup picks today he had in mind, but they're both over minus 2,000. Sorry, that wasn't reasoning. That's just why he landed on Roma over Cremonese Hopefully I'm saying that right. I know I'm saying Roma right, so that's okay.
2: okay. Um, That's great. I haven't seen him in the text line in a while, too, so welcome back. Um, NC State plus 7.5 is the play of the day in college basketball. NC State hammered Duke earlier this year with a win tonight, plus 250 on the money line. They'll have unofficially punched their ticket to the tourney. That's Chad from Peterborough.
0: Dukeies can't be, uh, well, they're seven and a half point favorites, so maybe they're okay, but it feels like there's no Duke buzz this year. Anyway, uh, Eric from Burlington, good morning. I like the Jets and Kings under six tonight. The Jets keep going under, plus they can't score right now. Yeah, the Jets are in a weird spot right now, it seems. Mm. Connor Hellebuck gave up like a million goals last time out, though. So maybe I'm a little Yikes. gun shy there. <laughs> okay. Uh,
2: good morning. 0 oh, 2 last night. Don't listen to me. Great. Panthers versus Lightning over and mini versus Islanders guaranteed under. That's Buff Daddy. So fade him and do the opposite.
0: <laughs> okay. Morning, Rakers. I've got three solid players for today. Best bet is Lillard over four and a half threes. Thompson, I believe that's Clay, is another favorite over four and a half threes. And Dylan Brooks under yes. 11 and a half points. Pray for terrible. <laughs> All the threes are locks. That's Cody from St. Kitts.
2: Play for uh, pray for terrible. That's it's a good parlay. Uh, good morning for today's anchor. I'll follow the train and play Dylan Brooks under eleven and a half points. Jewel says Warriors roll, so take the minus four and a half today. That's Ron and Juliana.
0: Corey from Port Hope. Wake and rake pick tonight is mine. Buffalo and regulation at home versus Columbus. Sharing a brain from Corey from Port Hope.
2: Okay. Wow.
0: Oh, it's the return.
2: Oh, my goodness. This is happening. Good morning. It's Parlay Poppy. The hiatus is over. Bucks minus five and a half is a gift against the Brooklyn Nets. Giannis is game time, but we'll end up playing the line. We'll move to seven and a half at tip-off once he's confirmed. I also love Washington plus seven and a half against the Hawks. Same as the Bucks. Porzingis is a game time, but once he's confirmed, the line will drop to four and a half. I love the prediction of the lines. Parley Poppy, it's been a while, buddy. We Welcome were worried back, about buddy. you. We were sending out search and rescue, but glad you're back in the fold. Uh, good to see you in the text line.
0: Love it. Uh, Andre and Scarborough, love the show. Your dynamic and chemistry with each other shines oh through the radio God, waves. Andre, we might have to pick yours based I on this. I think he's
2: trying to milk his way into the wake and rake parlay, but he's working.
0: He's got a cheeky <laughs> same game parlay. Clay and Dame both over four and a half threes. I mean, we, j- we just had that, I think, from, uh, who was it? Cody and St. Kitts. Mm-hmm. Over four and a half threes for Clay and Dame. Uh... That's that's his Wake and Rake selection. That's interesting. So maybe that we they maybe had the that's the same thing. Maybe that's a separate parlay. Clay and Dame over four and a half threes. Maybe there's a point total for those. Anyway, we can we can look at that later, but we only have a couple minutes to put our pick in. Do we and it's have it's gotta to, be
2: Dylan Brooks under? I think we have to there's go Dylan no, Brooks because no we've got multiple Hall yeah. of Fame under. Um let's chase it while we can. The Lakers also I don't know if you saw this yesterday. LeBron James Injury to his right foot, could miss multiple weeks. So things are going downhill real quick over there after he said he had the most important 32 games of his life left in the season. Might not be Mm. playing many of them. He posted an Instagram photo of his ankle all taped up with this blank sucks. He's down bad. Lakers not in a great spot. Um, So Dylan Brooks under still. I don't even care. I just think that the game is, is Dylan Brooks fade Dylan Brooks all the time even though the Lakers are down so as well. An-
0: the anti-Hall of Fame.
2: It is. Um, so Dylan Brooks under, let's put it in there because that game's going to be fun. Raptors minus four and a half on the point. Spread is going to be my selection. Sabres in the regulation money line is just in selection. And a joint team, wake and rake, anchor submission. Dylan Brooks under, fade Dylan Brooks under 11 and a half points. Altogether, that's plus 553 for your wake and rake today.
0: And the alt parlay opportunities would be... Roma and NC State plus seven and a half. And then if you want to play the three-point shooters, Clay and Dame, that would be a little parlay as well in the alt category. I did mention in the 7 o'clock hour, Mm -hmm. Colorado Avalanche to win the Central Division is at minus 120 right now. They officially have the best points percentage in the division right now. Just two points back of the Dallas Stars. If you want to tie up some money for six weeks and it's close to even money, With the Colorado Avalanche, who I think are going to be the best team over the next six weeks of the season, maybe aside from Boston, I think that's a worthy play. If you can find Colorado to win the Central at minus 120, I think that's a good spot.
2: Okay. Um, Something we missed earlier in the show was Connor McDavid, for the first time, is an NHL career? Yes. 50-goal scorer. He had two goals yesterday, but Edmonton lost to Boston 3-2. His 50th goal in 61 games. Mm -hmm. The fastest player to reach that mark since? Mario Lemieux in 1996. He joins Gretzky and Yari Curry as the only Oilers in team history to score 50 goals in 61 games or fewer.
0: Yeah, it seems like something changed with Connor McDavid this year. Just wanted to be more of a goal scorer. Wanted to win a Rocket Richard, hey, perhaps. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe it was a little miffed by one Austin Matthews winning all the awards last year. Connor McDavid came back mm-hmm. with purpose this year, and he's going to win himself a Rocket Richard. It seems, although David Pasternak's still sniffing around there too.
2: Oh, that was a good game last night between those two. Yeah. Um, all right, so you got some Blue Jays today. Spring training. They have two games. Split squads taking on the Phillies and the Tigers. You can see the Jays take on Detroit at 1 p.m. Eastern on Sportsnet. You can stream the game on Sportsnet.ca and the Sportsnet app. you got the Chicago Bulls here against the Toronto Raptors at 7.30 p.m. Tip off at Scotiabank Arena. DeMar DeRozan, revenge night. Didn't put that in the wake and rake, but you never know. Looking for a big win for the Raptors. though A little bounce back option for them. That's it for us. Yep. We'll be back tomorrow on a nice, beautiful Wednesday. Maple Leafs on the West Coast facing off against the Oilers and a back-to-back against Flames will tee all that up and react to the Raptors hopefully getting a big win against the Bulls.